Thank you. It's such an honor and privilege to be here and to be with you. And uh, man, I want you to know I just love your pastor. And uh, Pastor Herbert has been such a dear friend to me, uh, giving me advice, wisdom, counsel, talk me off the cliff. If you know what I'm talking about, walk with me through some things in my life. And I'm just very grateful for his friendship and uh, his wonderful wife, uh, Tiffany. We're so grateful for their family. Grateful for this church. This is such a special church and a special community. We are praying for you in, uh, in Las Vegas. We, uh, uh, our hearts have gone out to you guys over the last month with all of the things that have gone on in this area. And I just want to reiterate what you've heard again and again from around the country, which is you don't stand alone. We stand together and we love you. And we're going to walk with you guys as much as we can and do whatever we can uh, to help out. So this is an important area for me. I grew up in Amarillo, Texas, not far from here. So I, I know this area. It's in, my, it's in my blood. It's in my bones, you know, and uh, I understand uh, some of the dynamics. And so I'm um, praying for you, thankful for this church and the way you guys are reaching out and serving this community and showing love uh, to the people of this city and the, really this state. So I bring you greetings from Las Vegas. Um, there are Christians and churches in Las Vegas. We should just start right there. Uh, Lori and I, my wife, we felt called there about 10 years ago and um, have been serving the church community there. And it's its own unique mission field. It's just like anywhere else, living anywhere else, uh, with a few little caveats that are related specifically to uh, Las Vegas. Like I remember a while back, my wife and I were driving along. We came up to a stop sign and there's this billboard. And you know, billboards in Vegas are Billboards in Vegas, right? And so on the billboards, like six women, and they're all standing there, and it's the pictures of their backsides, and they've got bikini bottoms on, and then they've got their topless on the top side. You're looking at their back, but the implication is they're topless, and they're right there, and the billboard says, the hits are back. We pull up to it. I don't think anything about it. I don't even see that stuff anymore. You know, I just pull up to the stop sign. I'm about to go through it. My little seven-year-old says to his sister, as innocently as possible, he says, Emma, which naked girl is your favorite? I like the one with brown hair. It's that moment as a parent where you're like, what have I done to my family? You know, like I cannot believe it's just happened. So my wife turns around and in this sort of moment of parenting brilliance, she says, Ethan, we do not have favorite naked girls. <laughs> Just making sure we're all clear on that. So it's mostly normal living there, as normal as it can be, right? But I do bring you greetings from, uh, from Las Vegas and uh, our church there. You know, I want to talk to you today about the love and the grace and the mercy of God and how God pursues you for relationship. When many of us think of God, I remember in my own life when I was 14 years old, I was living in Amarillo, Texas, and, and I had some friends over, and we were staying, they were staying the night on Friday night, and we snuck out Friday night, and we're roaming around the neighborhood, you know, just kind of checking things out. It's about two in the morning. Don't look at me like you never did this, right? It's about two in the morning, and we go up to my neighbor's car, his 1978 Chevy Impala, and we look in the car, and there's keys hanging from the ignition. I'm like, oh, 
this is awesome. So we start pushing the car down the street because we don't want to wake anybody up. We get a few houses down. I'm figuring it's my neighborhood, my house. I get to drive, right? I jump behind the seat. My buddies jump in. We fire that car off and we're off, man. We're, we're on the town. We're large and in charge. I'm not 14 anymore. I'm a man, you know, right? So I'm driving. We're cruising along. We're having a blast. And then one of my friends gets sick in the back seat and he throws up. Well, that's not good when you got to take that car back to your neighbor, you know, and like park it back in the driveway. I'm like, oh, we got to clean this up. So we're driving around town. We find this place right near a 7-Eleven, right across the street. That's a 24-hour car wash. Like we'll, we'll get all this cleaned up, you know, get all this taken care of. And um, so we pull in. We don't have any change. We have some ones, no change. So we take our friend who's sick. We're like, you did this. This is your fault. You got to go across the street to the 7-Eleven and you got to get change and come back so we can clean the car. So he walks over, actually goes into the 7-Eleven. As he comes out of the 7-Eleven, an Amarillo Police Department car pulls up right next to him. Now I'm sitting over there like, oh, this is, it's good. he's going to talk his way out of it. Everything's going to be fine. And they talk for a while, talk for a while, and then they lay him over the front of that car and put the, the handcuffs on him, literally, and they put him in the back seat of that car and drive off. Now I'm thinking, man, as soon as he gets to the police station, they're going to call his parents, and his parents think that he's staying the night with me at my house. They're going to call my parents, and my dad, a former master sergeant in the army, is going to wake up and realize that we all climbed out the window, and here I am sitting in a bar not stolen car. This is not pretty, friends, you know? I threw that car in gear and I drove as fast as I could. And the whole time I was looking over my shoulder, I was thinking the cops were going to come at any minute. I mean, I was thinking the helicopter was going to zoom down and put the spotlight on us. You know, my life was going to end. I was driving as fast as I could. And when we turned the corner, I finally thought, oh, my, we didn't get pulled over. We're going to get home. I'm going to beat that phone call. And when my dad comes walking in the room, I already planned it all out in my head. I'm going to be kicking back in bed like I was asleep. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I come screeching around the corner, come right up to our house. And there's my dad standing out on the front lawn. And I still see him in his blue bathrobe, you know, with it all tied off, his hair all crazy, his white tube socks pulled up, just standing there. My life as I knew it was over, right? And so that was the last time I ever stole a car. But anyway, and my friend, by the way, they pulled it, they ended up, I found out later they arrested him because he, he fit the description of a robber in the area. And so I'm late, just cuffed him and put him in the car and took him away. So... That whole experience, when, when I think about that experience, I think that's how a lot of us relate to God in our life. We kind of have this sense. I don't know if we get it from our culture or from our parents or just from, um, you know, society or what, but a lot of us carry this sense that God is like a traffic officer, that God is like pursuing you to pull you over, to write you up for all the bad stuff that you've done in your life, that God's kind of, you know, like, like he's coming, he's coming, he's coming after you. And you're, I mean, you're checking the rear view mirror. You're looking over your shoulder. You have this sense that you're being pursued. And what I've learned is that God is pursuing us. But listen, he's, he's, he's pulling us over, not to give us a ticket, to, but to propose a relationship with us. To propose a relationship. 
See, for a long time, I ran from God. I felt like God was pursuing me. I knew there were things in my life I needed to work out, and I just keep running from God. I keep running from his goodness, from his mercy, from his forgiveness. I stayed stubborn. I got caught up in a drug addiction for several years, all the stuff that comes along with that. I, you know, I lived it. I did that. I ran from God. But then when I finally surrendered my life to God's love and grace and mercy and forgiveness, I stopped running from God, but I started running in another way now. I started running for God. Some of you, and I don't mean this positive, some of you, you're not just running from God, now you're running for God, but I mean you're trying to make up for past time. You know what I'm talking about? You're trying to make up for all the things you did wrong. You're trying to make up for all the stuff that you wish you could get back. You're trying to show God that he was justified in forgiving you and showing you grace in your life. And here's what I learned. It's just as exhausting to run from God as it is to run for God in that sense. Because you're never good enough. You never have it together enough. So here's what I want to suggest to you today. That you don't have to run from God and you don't have to run for God. You can simply run to God and you can rest in God in your life today. You can rest in him. And that's where there's power and freedom and, you know, you're empowered then from that position. And so to give you a picture of that, I want to look at a really obscure passage in the Old Testament of the Bible. You want to follow along? We're going to go to the book of Hosea, uh, chapter 1. Hosea is an Old Testament book. It's written by a prophet named Hosea. And uh, in the book of Hosea, God asks Hosea to do something he's never asked anybody to do before or since. So this is a really extreme picture that we get of the heart of God. He, God comes to Hosea and he says, Hosea, I want you to marry an unfaithful woman. Be like, say what, God? You want me to do what? I want you to marry an unfaithful woman. And he says, because I, I, basically I want you to understand my people, the Israelites in the Old Testament, have been unfaithful to me, have betrayed me again and again and again, and I keep loving them. And so, Hosea, you're going to be my spokesman. And to be my spokesman, I don't want you to just have this message on your lips. I want you to experience it in your heart. So you're going to marry an unfaithful woman, and you're going to find out what it's like to love somebody who betrays you again and again and again and again. Wow. And so that's what he does. Check it out. Hosea chapter 1 beginning in verse 2. And just to clarify before we dive into this, this is a very unique story about a special prophet in the Old Testament. Okay, this is trying to give us a picture and a perspective of God in our lives. I had a friend come up to me in Vegas a while back after teaching some of this, and she said, you know, I've been trying to be like abstinent, you know, like, but hey, I'm in Hosea. Anyway, so let's look at this. Hosea chapter, God's character doesn't change. God's standards for our lives don't change. This is about a specific story to teach us about who God is. Here we go. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2. When the, uh, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, Go, marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. These are just things that you never thought God would say, right? It says, For like an adulterous wife, This land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. So he, meaning Hosea, married Gomer. Now, I don't know about you. When I see Gomer, I always think of like Gomer Pyle. You know, surprise, surprise, surprise. But it's just a cultural difference, all right? Gomer was her name. And and, and so they entered into this relationship together. And one of the things that we see right out of the bat, right off the bat in Hosea, is that God is all about relationship. And he's calling us in our life to say yes to him and to say yes to relationship. He desires a relationship with you. Relationships are messy. 
I remember when my wife was pregnant with uh, our first child, she came in one day and she was really showing in the pregnancy and very self-conscious about that. And, and she sat down on the couch. And when she sat down, oh, we heard this, ex- it was like an explosion. Boom! I'm like, whoa. And she stood up and turned around and sure enough, she had blown the seam out of the entire bottom of her pants, you know, which I thought was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, come on, you know, like you're pregnant, it's all good, you know, the baby's in there, is growing, and like, you know, you just blew your pants out, right? So, so there's a lot of ways to react when your wife blows her pants out, right? I start laughing, I'm slapping my leg laughing, I'm like, you blew your pants out, it's awesome! And she sits back down. She's got her hands up over her face and her shoulders are, are bouncing. And I'm thinking she's laughing and I'm laughing and we're one big happy pregnant family, man. This is awesome. And then she took a breath. <laughs> and I realized like, oh, you're not laughing. Well, she got upset and she got so upset she started to get sick. And then she began to throw up, and she threw up so intensely that she busted blood vessels all over her face. <laughs> so here's my wife the next morning. Blood vessels busted all over her face because her husband was laughing at the fact that she blew her jeans out. And her mom comes over to visit. <laughs> she walks in and she says, Lori, what happened to your face? I'm like, I gotta go run a few errands, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna head out now. But it's not the first or the last bonehead thing I've done, right? It's not the first or the last thing that she's gotta forgive me for if we're gonna stay in relationship. And friends, that's why when the Bible talks about our relationship with God, the metaphor that God chose to use is that of marriage. His relationships are messy. They're messy. And think about this. When God wrapped that metaphor in flesh and blood, he didn't choose a prince and a princess to illustrate it. He didn't choose a Disney character. He chose a prophet and a prostitute. The first time in the Bible, the metaphor for marriage as an illustration of our relationship with God is really blown out and explored is in the book of Hosea. When God comes to Hosea and says, you go marry a prostitute, Hosea, because my people have been unfaithful to me again and again and again. And we're going to talk about how messy things can really get, but you're going to love each other through all of this. God desires a relationship with you. And that's different than just religion. Religion is doing acts of devotion to try and earn our way with God. Relationship is responding to all that God is with all that I am. Religion comes along and says, God, listen, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do these things, okay, on one side. Now, I expect a few things from you. Like we're trying to barter with a used car salesman, you know? Like here's what, okay, so I did this. I got my church on. I got this stuff going on in my life. Now, God, I need you to show up and give me a healthy marriage and healthy kids and an awesome car and a nice house. Now, those things aren't bad, but God wants way more from us and for us than a bartering relationship. 
God's got it all. I mean, listen, I hope God blesses you with an awesome house and an awesome family and a great ride and gives you all kinds of blessings in your life. But I hope you and I can move past a bartering mentality and relate to God like this. Says, God, I'm gonna I'm gonna tithe back to you and be faithful to you, not because I expect to get anything from you, but because I love you and you're just worth it. You're worth it in my life. You're first. I know you're going to bless me. I know that'll come. But my, I, I love you and I acknowledge you. God, I'm going to serve you, not because I'm trying to barter with you, but because I love you and you've already done so much in my life. I'm going to love you because of who you are. That's the relationship that God desires to have with us as his people. And so you don't have to run from him. You don't even have to run for him. You can just run to him and rest in him, even when it's messy. And think about who it is that's calling you into that relationship. One person wrote these words about Jesus and uh, just who he is. They wrote, he's my Lord and he rules my life. I serve him because his bond is love and his burden is light. And his goal for me is abundant life. He will never leave me, never forsake me, never mislead me, never forget me. When I fall, he lifts me up. When I'm weak, he's strong. When I've lost my way, he is the way. When I stumble, he steadies me. When I'm hurt, he heals me. When I'm broken, he mends me. When I'm blind, he leads me. When I'm hungry, he feeds me. When I face trials, he's with me. When I face problems, he he comforts me. When I face death, he carries me home. He is everything for everybody, everywhere, every time, and every way. He is God. He is faithful. He always was he always is he always will be unmoved unchanged undefeated and never undone never undone and so for us in our lives the one inviting us into a relationship is the one who is large and in charge and he's saying you know what just come along with me relate to me be in a relationship with me yeah I'll take care of all your needs I'll walk with you through every valley I'll carry you over the top of every mountaintop you just come along with me and walk with me let's relate together and so marriage is the picture that he uses now not only that we can then be challenged to move in our relationship with God from just trying to be good or good enough to living in his grace, to move from good to grace. Uh, I remember when my son Ethan came in one day and he said, Dad, I was outside, I was, I was um, playing around. He said, I tried to throw a rock into the garage and I accidentally busted out the back windshield of the minivan. So I go out, I'm like, oh man, you know, this isn't good, right? I'm standing there, and sure enough, I mean, he busted out the entire windshield on this minivan. There it is, just gone. I'm like, how'd you do that? He says, well, I was, I was aiming to go right between the two cars. He says, and I missed. <laughs> yeah, you think? So I start gearing up for a lecture. You know, I mean, this was, I'm, I'm not real happy. I mean, the inner pastor is not welling up inside of me in this moment. You know, I'm kind of like, dude, look, what have you done? You know, to our, and I'm thinking like, this is not in the spending plan. You know, my Dave Ramsey approved budget plan. This is not in it. This is not what I said when we sat down and we, this is not in the monthly expenses. And I'm thinking about all these dynamics, right? And I'm standing out there and I'm like, somebody's got to pay for this. And I'm thinking he's going to pay for it. You know, he's going to have to work and scoop the poop and mop the floor and do some stuff to, to make this right. You know, and as I'm talking, I look down and here's Ethan and he's got his little chins quivering. He's got tears in his eyes. He says, dad, he says, I guess I'm no longer worthy to be part of this family. <laughs> I mean, he's good, isn't he? That's, that's pretty good. 
Of course, I'm like, oh, buddy, no, I wasn't saying that. You know, I put my arm around him. It's going to be okay, man. I'm with you. You know, we'll walk this road, everything. Uh, there's a price that's got to be paid, and I'll pay it. You know, there, there's things that got to be done. I'll, I'll take care of that. You just, you know what? You go on inside and have a snack. You know, you go on in, have a snack, sit down, everything. And after he left, it hit me like, you think he was working me right there? Because that was really good for seven years old, you know, be working me in that moment. But I started thinking about God and how I, when I first, when that, all that first went down, the way I wanted to respond is the way we often think God responds. Standing over us, giving us the lecture, and telling us about all the things that we're going to have to do to make it right. And yet I think the picture we see of God in the Bible is God who comes along and says, you know what, we've all broken the glass, you and I. We, we've all accidentally or not so accidentally sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all broken the glass. And there is a price that needs to be paid, but God was willing to pay it. He was willing to take it on his shoulders and pay it so that we can live in his freedom. And as I thought about that, that's how God treats us. That's how God walks with us. It's not about just trying to be good. It's about responding to the grace he's already shown us in our life and living in that grace. And here's one of the most incredible pictures of that grace in the whole Bible. In fact, I would say next to the cross of Jesus Christ, for me personally, the verse we're about to read together is, one of the most, is probably the second most powerful picture of God's love that I've seen in the Bible. God comes to Hosea, and he's married an unfaithful woman, a prostitute. In Hosea chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, God comes to him. Now, she's gone. We don't know where she is. She's um, with another Hosea is a single dad. Some of you are walking that road in your own life right now. He doesn't know what to do or where to go. He doesn't know when she's coming back, what's happening. God comes to Hosea and gives him a message. And here's what he says, Hosea 3.1. He says, the Lord said to me, go and show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. I mean, that's a picture of God's love. Now, I want you to think about this. If you and I were sitting down with Hosea, like we do sometimes with friends, we're having coffee or sitting down, you know, and we're talking about relational dynamics, we would all look at Hosea and we would say, Hosea, you got to get away from that girl, right? You got to run, bro. That's toxic. She's already left you. She's, all right, she's being with it. She loves another guy right now and she's left you and you're waiting around for her. What's wrong with you, bro? You got to man up and move on. That's what we'd all say. And it might even be wisdom in certain situations. But this isn't a certain situation. This is a special situation. And God, through his special prophet, is trying to teach us a lesson about himself. So don't take this as biblical advice for how to manage your relational issues. This is biblical advice for how to manage your relationship with God. Right? So here's what he says. He says, you go love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. In other words, they worship other gods. He says, so, Hosea says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer and a lethic of barley. You put that together, it's the price of a slave in the ancient world. She said, well, what's happened? Hosea had to go, knock on doors, navigate his way to the seedy part of town, and find where his wife was. Apparently, she had gotten herself in a situation of sexual servitude. She had a pimp she was working for, and he had to go meet with this pimp, 
negotiate her freedom, pay the price that needed to be paid, get her, and bring her home. Now that is a picture of a biblical word we call redemption, which means to buy back. And I want you to think about this. This picture is for us today because Jesus came and lived and died for us. He paid the price for us. Now think about this. He didn't find us in the castle, right? He didn't come and find us sitting pretty in the castle. He found us lost in our own sin, lost in our mistakes. He didn't find us sitting in the nice fancy home. He found us in the brothel. But he didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us there. He paid the price. He secured it through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. He bought us back, and he's willing to bring us home. That is what it means to experience grace in your life. How does God respond to you as his child when you fail? Well, God tells Hosea, this is how I love my people. I go and love them again. 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 And I've paid the price and I bought them back and I bring them home to live with me. That's a picture of who God is. His love for you. His mercy towards you. And so will you live in that grace? When you're just trying to be good, that's different than living in the grace and the mercy of God. Listen, grace makes you grateful. Just trying to be good makes you busy. <laughs> How grateful are you in your life this week? How grateful are you for all that God has done in your life? Grace makes you worthy because of what Jesus has done. Just trying to be good makes you feel guilty all the time because you're never what? Good enough. How guilty have you felt in your life this past week? Grace restores relationships, but just trying to be good often keeps its distance. So how close are you feeling to God in your life these days? I mean, grace gives more grace, but good demands more good, <laughs> right? So would you describe yourself as being grace-filled or demanding? Don't let good come between you and God. Because he's come to redeem you by his grace, to empower you to live differently because of his love, not to earn his love. You don't have to run from God. You don't have to run for God. You can run to God, and you can rest in God. And then that allows us, thirdly, to live in our new identity. Live in your new identity. I remember... Um, a while back, I worked out at this YMCA, and uh, I'd go in, and, and when I did, I, I would uh, uh, go down to um, the area where the weights were, down in the basement. I'm lifting. There was only one other guy there. It was an old, uh, pretty run-down YMCA. This guy would come in, and he was like huge, like the Hulk, weightlifter, and, and uh, he'd work out, and I would work out. We wouldn't talk, because you just don't talk to guys like that. You know what I'm saying? They, they talk to you. You don't talk to them, right? So I'm lifting weights. All that. Well, one day, one day, he looks over at me. He says, hey, uh, will you spot me on the bench press? I'm like, yeah, okay, you know, I can do that. I spot somebody on the bench press. When you spot somebody, you're basically trying to make sure they don't get hurt, right? Lifting weight, you want to, if they get in a situation where they can't get the weight up on the bench press, you want to sort of stand over them and grab that bar like this, and you just want to kind of guide it up to the rest. No problem. I've done it before. I can do this. So he starts loading this bar up. I mean, loading this bar up, you know, and he says, I'm just going to try to do a couple reps. So if you can just kind of make sure everything's good. Yeah, okay, no problem. He lifts that bar up off the rest, and it slightly bends just a little bit like whoa he goes down he does one rep all the way up no problem goes down go, on the second rep and he stops about halfway 
He goes, I need a little help here. And I'm looking down at him. I'm like, okay, no problem. You know, bend your legs, keep your back straight, get the bar just like this, right? And pull. That's what you do, you know? So I pull, nothing happens. <laughs> bar drops a half inch. I'm like, he says, little help here. I'm like, I start pulling again. You know, I'm giving it everything I got. And at this point, I mean, I've lost all shame. I'm, I'm making the noise and everything. Uh, you know, like I got nothing. He says, little help. I'm like, I, and finally I look at him. I said, that's all I got. You want me to go get the management? <laughs> I don't know what to do. I go, they're upstairs. I can go try to get them. You hold that position. Just take me a minute. He does this move that professional weightlifters do. You know, he slides over on one side and drops his right hand and allows that bar to hit the bench and keeps his left hand up just enough to uh, keep it off from crushing his chest. And all the weight slides off on the right side. And then lightning speed, that bar flies up the other way. He slides over and then the bar hits the bench on the other side. The weight falls off. So it's like, bam, bam. Then he stands up and he throws the bar across the gym. <laughs> Then he turns around and looks at me. And I'm thinking I'm dead, you know. It happened at old YMCA. And he walks over to me, and after he calmed down for a minute, he's like breathing. He comes over and he goes, we're going to work out. You know what I said? Yes, sir. We're going to work out. He says, you be here at noon tomorrow. We're going to work out together. I said, all right, yes, sir. You know, <laughs> so noon the next day I show up. So we start working out together every day at noon, man. This guy works me out like there's no tomorrow. I think he enjoys it a little too much, right? And so I'm like, I'm, I mean, I, he's killing me. And, uh, you know, then at one point he finds out I'm a Christian. And so I'm like doing dips. I remember I'm like, I've done like three of them, whatever, you know, and I'm already kind of getting maxed out. He leans in. He goes, give me, give me three more if you really love Jesus. I'm like... Oh, you want to go there? You want to make it? You want to make this about that? Oh, okay. So we, then we start. He'd say like seven's the perfect number in the Bible. Give him seven. I'm like, what are you? How do you? Are you hitting Google? How do you know that? What are you doing your research before you come to the gym? You know to like motivate me. Anyway, I go out to my car after working out, and I'd be so exhausted I couldn't even lift my hand up to get the key in the door. You ever been? You ever had like you know your arms are just so shot you can't? I remember I went home one night. You know I'm sitting there. I turned to my wife. I said, "Lori, will you will you brush my teeth?" <laughs> I just like my wife. I can't even brush my teeth. You know this is anyway. He hurt me. We worked out hard. But through that whole process, I got stronger and stronger and stronger. I was in the best shape of my life. Some of you right now, you're in that place. You feel like you're in the gym of life. I mean, you got nothing left and you're pushing harder and harder and harder just to keep the family going, just to keep the drama down, just to keep all the plates spinning, just to keep all the, all the balls juggling in the air. And it's exhausting and you're worn out. And I want you to know God doesn't just have you there to torture you. What God's going to do is allow those situations to shape you and to form you into the person he's created you to be. He's given you a new identity. 
He's given you a new identity. You're not the old person. You're not who other people say that you are. You're not who they said you were back in high school. You're not the person that your ex says you are or that the guy down the street says you are or that the girl at work says you are. You're not the person that you're not the sum total of what anybody has said that you are. You are the sum total of who God says you are. He says you're new in Christ. He says you've got a future in him. He says it doesn't matter what your parents did, what your dad did, where you came from what matters is where you're going and where you're going is with him in relationship and so he's going to walk with you and sustain you and he just says live in the new identity that I've given you and you see that identity in Hosea he brings his wife Gomer home Hosea 3 3 says then I told her you're to live with me many days you must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man and I will behave the same way towards you I want you to notice this Hosea forgave her, he paid the price for her, he brought her home, and then he asked again that she live in relationship with him. God will go to the extreme lengths in stories such as this to show us that his heart is for us, to bring us home so that we can live in the new identity that he wants to give us in our lives. You know, this is a special week in my life. Two years ago, this week, uh, my father passed away. And uh, this time of year, it always comes back. It just kind of weighs on my heart. Those of you that have lost parents know that's, that's always with us. And my father was a good man. He was a World War II vet, master sergeant in the Army, small business owner, and he was a man of character and integrity. And, uh, you know, he's all, most of our stories probably aren't like that. I think too many of us look around and we don't have fathers who were there and who were present and who were available. And I, I always say that's a reminder that we can break the chain. No matter where we come from, it's about where we're going. And no matter what kind of dad you have, you can be that kind of dad for somebody else, that kind of friend. But I'm grateful for my dad because there are not many of them in our culture that you can look at and say, now that was a good man, across the board a good man. I got the call that he was in ICU and not doing well. And we go and he's got all these cords hooked up to him and he's laying there and he's kind of unconscious. And then he'd have these moments where he would come to. So I'm in the hospital room sitting there and he looks over and all of a sudden he just opens his eyes, looks right at me, acknowledges that I'm there with him. And he says, it's about time to wrap this up. I said, I understand, Dad. He'd already told me he wanted to be with Jesus. He wanted to be with my mama. My mom had died a couple years earlier. He says, it's about time to wrap this up. At one point, he thought his defibrillator was keeping him alive, and it would zap him when his heart would get out of rhythm, you know, and he's like laying there half dead, you know, and it gets zapped, and he'd sit up, you know, and it was really making him angry because he's like, this thing, he thought it was restarting his heart. I'm like, Dad, it's not keeping you alive, okay? Don't, you know, he was like, I'm ready to go. At one point, he sat up, and he goes, you better get that heart doctor in here right now. I paid him a lot of money. He needs to turn this thing off. I should be dead by now. That's how a master sergeant in the army gets ready to die, you know. But I had this moment with him. I went in and held his hand. Final words. What do you say to your, your parents, good or bad, in those final words, you know? And I sat there for a long time. Nothing would, nothing would come out. And uh, I finally just said, Dad, I, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for putting God first in your life more than anything else 
We're putting God first. And I want to thank you for praying for me, always being faithful to me when I was so unfaithful to you and everybody around me. I said, Dad, I, I just hope and pray I can be that kind of dad for my kids. I don't know if I have it in me. But I hope and pray that by the power and grace of God, I can be a good dad. I just told him how much I loved him. And I had this moment. He looked right at me and my sister sitting there. And uh, from being completely out, he said, you're good kids. And I love you. He said, I'm going for a walk in the sunshine. I'll see you on the other side. It's the last thing he ever said. I want you to know I walked out of that hospital room two years ago, this week, with a new clarity in life. That when you get to the end of your days, there's only two things that matter. Your relationship with God and your love for the people around that bed. It's a short list. It's a sh and if it's a short list then, maybe it ought to be a shorter list now in my life. Maybe now I need to focus more on God and who he is and loving the people he's brought into my life. I don't have to run from him. I don't even have to run for him. I can just run to him. I can rest in him. And I can know that he loves me. And he's working and moving in my life. And he will do the same for you in your life. Let's bow and pray together.